And we are back with our 2024 lead with just six weeks until Republican voters caucus in Iowa. Candidates are courting one of the state's most influential groups, evangelical Christians, specifically white evangelical Christians. Ron DeSantis recently was endorsed by prominent evangelical Bob Vanderplant, and he just wrapped up a 99-county swing in the Hawkeye State. But he remains nearly 30 percentage points behind Trump in the latest poll from the Des Moines Register. Joining us now is Tim Alberta. He's a staff writer for The Atlantic, and he has a new book titled The Kingdom, The Power, and the Glory, American Evangelicals in an Age of Extremism. The book comes out tomorrow. Congratulations, Tim. Uh, so exciting. Um, Thanks, Jake. Vanderplant's pretty certain that America will not elect Trump. Do, do other evangelical leaders in Iowa and throughout the country, do they share that concern and certainty? Well, I don't think they share the, the certainty. Uh, in fact, when you sort of survey the, the rank and file evangelical pastor uh, around the country, as I've done over the last couple of years, I think there's almost a resignation uh, to the idea that, you know, Trump, for the short term, probably the intermediate term at least, has a pretty good hold on a lot of their congregants and that they're not going to deviate from him anytime soon. Uh, Bob Vanderplatz has had sort of a, a long running feud with Trump. In fact, some of the reporting that's come out of my book around Trump using disparaging vulgar language to refer to certain Iowa evangelicals, that was aimed towards Bob Vanderplatz himself, among others. So it's no surprise that he would endorse Ron DeSantis. I don't think that there's any question that uh, Trump re re retains an overwhelming lead among white evangelicals in Iowa and elsewhere. I think the question really, at least in a political frame, Jake, is not whether Trump is winning big majorities of these voters, both in the primary and in the general, but how many of these voters show up next November? Is there any sort of a fall off because of the Trump exhaustion we see with some of these evangelicals? Ted Cruz's campaign mocked Trump in 2016 when Trump uh, infamously cited two Corinthians. Uh, you write, quote, when Cruz's allies began using the two Corinthians line to attack him in the final days before the Iowa caucuses, Trump told one Iowa Republican official, you know, these so-called Christians hanging around with Ted are some real pieces of shit, unquote. Uh, I'm, I only curse on air when, uh, generally speaking, when I'm quoting someone. How do Trump-supporting evangelicals square that, the fact that he was ignorant uh, about Scripture, uh, not to mention all the other ways in which Donald Trump is not exactly square with the good book. Do they just ignore it? Are they just happy with the fact that he was very responsible for the overturning of Roe v. Wade? How, how do they justify it to themselves? Well, Jake, it's a great question, obviously, and there's sort of a fascinating uh, psychological arc here to understand. Whereas at this point, eight years ago, a lot of these white evangelical voters were very uneasy with Trump, and they viewed his lack of familiarity with scripture and his behavior and his rhetoric, they viewed those things as weaknesses, and they sort of entered into this very uneasy transactional relationship with him where they said, look, you know, he's the nominee now, and uh, he's going to give us some of these policy victories we really want in exchange for our votes. That transactional relationship has now morphed into something else entirely, which is to say specifically that to the point about the, the, uh, the 91 indictments and his uh, rhetoric around not letting non-Christians into the country and, you know, Trump being a decidedly more antagonistic uh, militant candidate this time around, especially with his, with his uh, bearing towards uh, the, the non-evangelicals in this country, talking about how he will be their retribution. 
retribution and how he will essentially wield Christianity as a weapon, they are all for that in part because they have come to view Trump as almost a righteous protector, as someone who, because he is not a Christian himself, he's not bound by biblical virtue, he's not, he doesn't have to play by their rules, and that's almost his superpower. It, it gives him an ability to do things to protect this Christian coalition, if you will, that no other candidate would be willing to do. In your book, you write about your upbringing in the church and evangelicals such as your, your dad, who was a pastor, believed and preached that integrity, integrity was a prerequisite for political leadership, but, but that seems to have changed. Yeah, and, and the simplest explanation for it, Jake, as to why it's changed is what you'll hear from a lot of evangelical Christians around the country, which is that they are under siege, which is that Christianity is under attack in this country, in the culture, from the secular, godless left. And just look at COVID-19. They shut down our churches, uh, transgenderism on the march, all of these things. And, and they will point to that and say, look, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. Donald Trump, th this, this uh, you know, if you feel as though barbarians are at the gates, then you might just be willing to turn to a barbarian to do your fighting for you. Our mutual friend and my boss, Jeff Goldberg, said this to me the other day. He said, you're almost describing this like a mercenary relationship. And I said, that's kind of exactly what it is. Uh, for people who feel that they are threatened in this way, they're willing to turn to a man who shares none of their values. And in fact, perhaps that is their greatest attraction to him. That's fascinating. There are clear parallels between the growing divide in the Republican Party and in the evangelical community. What do you make of Speaker Mike Johnson's rabid rise to power, given his strong religious identity? Yeah, well, you know, when Mike Johnson says essentially that the Bible is his governing handbook, Jake, uh, you know, that's that's not a fringe position. Uh, we, we shouldn't necessarily treat it as something that is far out of the evangelical mainstream. I think what's important to recognize, and a lot of us are uncomfortable even saying this out loud, but there is very much an ascendant movement on the right in this country that would seek to abolish any sort of firewall between church and state. There will be people working in a second Trump term, and I report on this a bit in the book, who are very much invested in this idea of merging uh, the, 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 the power of the church at some official level, whether it's through a declaration or some executive order. But again, we heard Trump, even in his rhetoric on the campaign trail a couple of weeks ago, saying, floating this idea that nobody would be able to come to this country as a migrant moving forward unless they are a Christian. So effectively, a, a religious litmus test. So you have real strands of Christian nationalism now that are infecting the highest echelons of the Republican Party, and that's something the country is going to have to address sooner rather than later. Tim Alberta, thank you so much, and congratulations. The new book, The Kingdom, The Power, and the Glory, American Evangelicals in an Age of Extremism, comes out tomorrow. Everything Tim writes is fascinating, well-written, and worth a read. Congratulations again, my friend. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate it.